It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 260, The Logos and Zachariah's Encounter at the Temple. John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Apostle John started his gospel with these profound words. They are powerful and absolutely unreal in their artistry, philosophy, and perfect theology. The book of John is written in Greek, and the word in this case is the Logos, which in itself has a history which is profoundly impacting to this whole message here. In the beginning was the word. Well, this is actually a Greek thought. It goes back to Plato and Prior. The Logos can be known in philosophical thought in the days of the Greek Golden Age as universal wisdom or universal reason, a force of the universe, a divine power higher than anything. The next line, the word was with God and the word was God. It would be a Jewish philosopher who added more to this. It was Philo of Alexandria who added more. And we believe it was around 30 AD, but the absolute date is a little unclear. And, and I quote Stanford's Book of Philosophy on Philo. He did not want to get rid of Logos, but rather to place it clearly within the unique perspective of divine transcendence. Though he felt great admiration for Plato, his transcendence was not exactly platonic, but rather of a god both absolutely unknowably yet very close to mankind. And this is, that was very philosophical, but basically, Philo of Alexandria claimed the divine universal reason as God himself. The Logos was God, not, not some unknown entity or universal reason. Apostle John claims this is correct. Then he adds more and more and more. The next lines, He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John claims the logos from Greek thought and Jewish philosophy is God himself. Then he drops the bombshell, the completion of philosophy and the purpose of philosophy itself, the purpose of existence and the fulfillment of the law and our divine purpose for living. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You may see this as a theme of Christmas sermons, but it's just powerful when you consider how God came down from heaven to live amongst us in fragile human and vulnerable form. Philippians 2, 6, Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness? It continues. John 1, 15. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
the Word became flesh. The Word from the beginning, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Or the Word was made manifest, the Spirit became flesh. The Spirit of God came in the form of a human being. Jesus, also called the Word, came down in human form to visit us, to encounter us, to show the greatest form of love to atone for us, to die for us. All right, before we move to the encounter with Zechariah, we have to talk about dating. You know, it's the winter of 8 BC. And this leads to some serious questions of why we're backdating the official birth of Christ so early. I think the chronological Bible sums it up well. And I quote the chronological Bible. No one knows the precise date when Jesus was born. Even his year of birth is only an educated guess based on the information available. The intention of the medieval creators of our calendar was to set the date of Christ's birth at 1 AD. They simply miscalculated. The Jewish historian Josephus places the death of Herod in 5 BC. So in other words, our calendar's just wrong. Isn't that crazy? And, you know, I'm quoting, you know, from the Chronological Bible, which has so many crazy students in the back of it, uh, Bible professors, and they literally just said the intention of our calendar was that it started at 1 AD, and it was just, they were just wrong. They miscalculated. Everything before Jesus' birth was to be B.C., Everything after was to be A.D. And I quote further, Since Herod's calculations led him to target children under two years old, Jesus' birth most likely occurred one or two years before Herod's death in either 5 or 6 B.C. And there's a ton of articles out there trying to pinpoint the exact dates of Christ's birth. Um, I don't have the answers. I mean, I don't, I don't know. The, the, the scholar's choice is 2 B.C., 5 B.C., and there's even a 6 B.C. And there's, you know, there's a good amount of recent credence to 6 BC. I, I found a video out there. It was an hour long talking about exactly why people believed in a certain date. And then another guy would have another video, and it's the same length of time on what he believes. And I don't want to spend <laughs> too much time, you know, discussing what date we believe um, his birth was. I'm going to pick one, and we're going to go forward. I'm going to go with March of 6 BC for Christ's birth, as this is two years prior to Herod's death. The springtime falls in line with the shepherds in the fields, a convergence of some constellations, and there's some super, super complicated analysis of the priestly divisions, which gives us a date around when Zechariah would actually be in the temple. And without nerding out over more dates and analysis of all the different opinions, um, I'm picking March uh, 6 BC as our starting point for Christ's birth. Um, rewind nine months to June of 7 BC and Mary's pregnant. Back up another six months to December 8 BC and Zechariah encounters the angel in the temple. And this is where we're going to start our dating. Now we jump over to the book of Luke. And here's a bit on Luke. Luke is a doctor. He's he, The most healings in the Gospels is in the book of Luke. And he's the most educated, of course, on medical conditions, so he speaks the most to him. He's a student. He's very detailed when he wants to be. He's Paul's traveling companion later in the book of Acts. So he actually wrote, you know, Luke part one, and then Luke part two is actually the book of Acts. So they actually, you know, you can read Acts 
Acts 1, it's immediately after the end of Luke. He has incredible first-hand knowledge that he receives from all these people that he speaks to along the way. And there's good reason to believe his gospel was actually documentation required for Paul to stand before Nero many years later, which makes sense when you actually read it. The Romans are never actually the bad guys in the book of Luke. And that's why centurions are typically portrayed as the good guys in his book. It was written to the Romans. Luke 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. And once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Zechariah had waited his whole life for this moment to conduct these services in the actual temple, a privilege and right of being a priest of God, a Levite. But he was old at the time. And we don't know exactly, except it says that it was well advanced in years. Luke 1.11 Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. I find this super interesting. The angel of the Lord here is not capitalized. The reason is that we'll find out that it's not God himself. This angel will later say it is Gabriel, one of the three famed archangels. But you compare this account the encounter with Gideon in Judges 6.11. In my New King James Bible, the angel of the Lord is capitalized in the story of Gideon in um, Judges 6, but it's not here. I find that interesting. And some suggest when it's capitalized, it was a pre-incarnate Christ or God himself visiting prior to the New Testament experience. Luke 1.12. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled. It was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Old Zechariah is going to have a son. Not just a son. He's basically going to be the Elijah that precedes the Messiah himself from the book of Malachi. Zechariah's response is shocking, though. He's not thrilled. He's not excited. He asks questions. Not out of a pure heart but out of doubt. It's not what you expect and not the heart of faith. It's not a question in the right spirit. No, his response is of the wrong spirit. Luke 1.18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel that stands in the presence of God doesn't have time for a lack of faith. He's probably if he, if he thinks like us, he's thinking, why, God, did you choose this guy? Basically, this is tantamount to sin himself, sin itself. It's unbelief. This angel won't put up with it. Oh, well, I guess he's 
going to have to lose the ability to use his tongue. He's going to have to be silent, so he will not oppose the works of God with his unbelief. Here is the consequence for doubt in the presence of a holy archangel. Luke 1.19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Do you get that? Because you don't believe my words, my logos, the universal reason of God, the God in the flesh. You didn't believe it because of this. You'll go mute for nine months. So you cannot come against the works of God with your own tongue. Blessings and curses come from the mouth. Let's just say God wasn't going to allow him to curse what God was going to do. The powerful tongue of a father who sets the course of his family should always be a blessing, not a curse. Filled with belief, not doubt. Luke 1, 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept many, making many signs of them, but remaining unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he, remained, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Zachariah and his wife would conceive a child, and wisely, Elizabeth, whose name means consecrated one, would go into hiding. If the doubt of her husband wasn't enough, she didn't want to entertain anyone else's doubt. Isn't this what most people do today, but for three months? It's a wise thing. Most don't share a pregnancy with others outside of their family for the first three months. For greater is the risk of loss in those three months than any other. The gift of God should be protected and kept in the hearts of the faithful at its most vulnerable stage. We conclude this episode discussing Zachariah's question of the Logos and compare it to the similar request that was rewarded. The angel punished Zachariah because he didn't believe the word that was spoken to him. The word, the Logos, the word is a power greater than the universe per the Greeks. The Logos is the power of God, and the Logos has unlimited transformational power of God in it. That word was spoken to Zechariah, and he did not believe it. Compare it to the word spoken to Mary, when the angel tells her the Most High will overshadow her and impregnate her with the Son of Man. Her response was a very similar question. Luke 1.34, How can this be, since I do not know a man? It doesn't sound that different than Zechariah's response. How can I be sure of this? I am an old. The angel answered Mary with the statement, The Most High will cover you, yet the angel answered Zechariah with, You will be mute. What's the difference in their questions? It was the spirit of the question. Questions aren't bad. In fact, they're part of relationship and required. But the spirit of the question is the problem. Mary was authentically curious. Zachariah was doubting. Let's suggest Zachariah had to learn some lessons or he was going to be a terrible father later. But Mary, oh Mary, 
We don't worship you or pray to you. You aren't God, but you had faith. After encountering the angel, her response is this. Luke 1.38, let it be to me according to your word. Isn't it amazing? After the way John starts, she said, according to your word. It's not what you think, though. The Greek word here is not logos. No, it's rhema. The other Greek word for the English word, word. Rhema means utterance or thing said. It signifies action of speech. Ever read the Bible and you felt like the scripture was just for you? Ever listened to a sermon and you thought it was just what you needed or right in the right moment? Ever heard something that brought you conviction or faith? Ever heard a testimony that moved you to actions of faith? That's rhema. Mary believed the rhema word spoken by the angel. The New Testament has 316 uses of the logos. Funny, huh? 316. Matches the John 316. God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, the word, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The word rhema is used 67 times. The logos has priority and never should the rhema contradict the logos. But in my words, it is words breathed upon by the Holy Spirit. Whether it is counsel, instruction, or wisdom, that's rhema. And I think Hebrews 4.12, though it speaks to the logos, I think it defines in so many ways the logos and the rhema. And let's combine this with John 1.18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Jesus will do just this to his nation, his people his church, his society, his culture, and the whole world. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or shop at our affiliated store, etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash steadfast gifts. Or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.